Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Uh, another man who's just back from his holidays uh, is Graham Finley here to look at some stories from the weekend afternoon, Graham. Afternoon. Uh, and I suppose something you and your colleagues and people in the general education sphere will be uh, one big major problem uh, we're facing into is accommodation for students. Now uh, we, it just seems to be getting worse and worse every year. I know you probably already heard about this on the radio today, but you, everyone should be should be talking about this. And accommodation not just for students, but for staff. Um, it is horrendous out there. And it's it's really, really affecting a lot of aspects of my job, uh, including if you want to hire a postdoc, uh, you know, they the people will say, oh, yeah, I'm really excited about coming to join your team until they see daft.ie, which I send them to, <laughs> right, you know, uh, and then they're just, you know. Maybe I'll go to Sweden where things are cheaper, you know, yes. <laughs> and, and and that's a, that's an existential threat both to UCD, I think, and to our entire economy because our entire economy is based on high education for, for, the, for the public, uh, a lot of industries which require a highly educated public and um, some place for all these, these people who, who are internationally mobile to come in and work in, in, in a lot of those industries, right? So it, it is a serious problem. Yeah. Um, for for me, my colleagues. I mean, I'm not me personally. I've got a house, right? But my colleagues, my new colleagues, my students. Um, it's it really can interfere massively with your your education and your enjoyment of the student experience and everything. Mm, yeah. Well, I imagine it's tougher in academia because it might tend to be a bit seasonal. You mightn't be looking for a rental for an entire year or a period of years, and therefore. Uh, you're competing with people who want to be there. Yeah, that is true. I mean, you know, undergraduate students, you know, probably have somewhere else to be, someplace cheaper, ideally, you know, in the yeah. summer. And and you're right. I mean, those people are in the churn every time. And what we're seeing is is the students backed up. So, you know, the the first year students don't even know what courses they're being offered yet, right? But meanwhile, all the desperate second, third, and fourth year students are coming in. And I have to say, this is particularly a problem for me in one of my main jobs. I'm just going to shill now, <laughs> which is uh, vice principal for widening participation at the College of Social Sciences and Law. At Congratulations UCD. for the longest title of the yeah, day. Yeah, I know. Show, yeah. yes. Sometimes I get promoted to vice president, but that <laughs> that would be inaccurate. I'm only responsible for social sciences and law. But um, in that guise, my job is not to just you know encourage people to come to UCD, which I am. And I should say, in fact... If you're interested in studying in social sciences and law, and this is just pure shilling, email me personally, and I will talk to you about the many supports we have and so forth. Uh, and I'm talking about this, Sean, because... I, I, Graham, <laughs> how long have you lived in this country? Email me personally is code for, I'll put in a word. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm putting in a word in a just and fair way, <laughs> Sean. Not a discriminatory <laughs> way, but one which wants to support everybody to the best of our abilities. And I can tell you about all the supports and scholarships you might not have seen about our amazing access program, which I'm also in charge of for social sciences and the humanities, which um, if you think you are just don't have any of the skills you need for college, this is a cheap full-time program which um, supports you to get you to where you want to be and to get you automatic, if you get a certain grades, entrance into um, UCD programs. And they're wonderful people, and these are some of the best students I've ever had have come through this program. Um, why am I talking about this on News and an Adder, Sean? Yes. You might be asking and wondering whether I've taken over your show for like a infotainment commercial. Well, I'm only easing back in anyway. Well, that's, so, yeah. that's because yeah. the uh, the National Access Plan um, was announced today, uh, which is the, the National Widening Participation Plan for mature students, disabled students, um, 
students from disadvantaged areas or disadvantaged background, members of the traveling community, et cetera, et cetera, uh, not et cetera, et cetera, single parents, lots and lots of other people who have a non-traditional route into places mm. like UCD. Uh, and it's really, really exciting uh, because we've actually achieved a lot in this area, but there's a lot more to do. And so it's great to see it getting this kind of attention. And it is newsworthy. Yeah, but uh, notwithstanding people gaining access to third level who might you know, previously have had that kind of access do they stay? Is there is there an issue with dropout rates? Because keeping it up over four or five yeah. or six years must be very difficult. We try to say non-progression. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, and again, so yeah, there are, I mean, so there are issues in that regard, but it's not not necessarily, it's, you know, I'm talking, the, the national, national Access Plan, as it's been talked about in the papers today, is about all students in all third level in Ireland. Right? Yeah. Um, so it's going to vary a lot from program to program, right? Um what it emphasizes, and another thing I'm excited about, is not just getting people in, right, which is tough because there can be lots of ways that they get discouraged or anybody gets discouraged, including the high cost of accommodation or yeah, really long yeah. commutes or, you know, uh, child care or other responsibilities, which are really getting in the way of you, you even thinking about coming to college at all. What's good about the plan is they highlight the need for and the existence of supports for you once you get there. Right. So there are a lot of supports for all these um, cohorts, as we call them, in, in widening participation throughout. Again, there are scholarships which uh, uh, will carry you throughout your undergraduate education and into your postgraduate education. So what we're really focusing on is getting people not just through undergraduate, but to progress to postgraduate education and and also into the world of work. Uh, and uh, that's another focus of the plan. Now, you have to be careful about measuring that. A lot of our WP students go on to do graduate degrees um, and we're trying to sort of figure out what's going on there. You know, is that good? It, mm. And it is. Uh, but, you know, what are their employment outcomes? We're hampered by GDPR in that we, you know, we, you know, there's only so much specificity yes. before you start, you know, identifying people. But no, I mean, it's it's the main message I want to get out. And this is, I think, true of all the colleges, but it's certainly true of social sciences and law at UCD, which is, you know, people have this impression of UCD that it's Ross O'Carroll Kelly and his friends, right? Uh, and that, if it was ever true, is no <laughs> longer they? true. I've, I've I would heard... have thought that was more Trinity. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, yeah. I can't speak for them. <laughs> they could still be a bastion of aristocratic <laughs> privilege. Um, but not at UCD, where in our programs, in a lot of our programs, you know, people... No, I'm, I talk to a lot, of the, a lot of students, and a lot of them think I'm the only one, right? Like me here. I'm the only <laughs> one from, you know... In Chicor Valley Ferment, which are the communities I'm most involved with um, in this area, you know, uh, and in fact, there are dozens of people, possibly in a large class, like over 100 people who are like you coming in through the HERE scheme or the DARE route or the, the further, you know, the QQI further education route or are mature students. A and it's just really important that, that students be aware of that and that staff be aware of that because... It's, you know, in some of our programs, it's almost 50% of the students are, are in these cohorts. Really? And, and so it's really not, um, it's really not the way some people conceive of UCD, which is a bunch of clicky people from the south side. Right. Yeah, or, or maybe just third level, you know, education in general. There might be that something of that view. Yeah, uh, going back to the undergraduates, is there, in terms of non-completion or whatever the phrase is, is the rates of that relatively high? Do they tend to finish? It varies from from program to program. That's thank you for queuing me up for my other talking point, yeah. which is, you know, we've also done a lot of studies on students in these wide one participation cohorts. And the other, you know, it varies from program to program, but by and well, in terms of progression, 
uh, the actual grades they get, the outcomes they get in terms of class of degree and going on to, to graduate education, they do as well as or better than than students who come straight in through the CAO pro, uh, process. Right. So, okay, that's good. Now, it varies from, from program to program. Again, lots of there's been a lot of attention in this area for certain subjects. I'm not going to say them because and not in my college but you know you know <laughs> but you know in certain subjects more than others and and you know but one of the problems with the system is you know sometimes people is just not a good fit right mm. um i should say actually one of the highest percentages both in terms of good outcomes and progression and in terms of access places and people going to it is law and and that's seen as like by many people as the ultimate cliquey sort of insider mm. high points degree but our, my colleagues in law have done fantastic work uh, in terms of changing our student body. And you can you can just feel it when you're in the room. And I teach a lot of law students. Anyway, so, so I mean, it's always a concern. And, you know, one of the other things about third-level education is, you know, it's not like post-primary school where, like, if you miss a year or if you take a year out, you know, like, there's something has gone wrong in your education, right? I mean, it's flexible enough, mm. at least at UCD, for you to take, a, you know, quite a different route through through um, education. And so, you know, I, I, I also do a lot of the mature student uh, ap applications. That's another part of my job. How and old do you have to be to be a mature student? 26, I think, but 20, not that 23 mature, even. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I should know this. Um, I used to be 26, but it might be even lower now. Right. Um, and, and a lot of those people have amazing stories to tell, and, and they tell you them, about how, you know, they went to college and they weren't ready and they went off and did something else yeah, really interesting yeah, and now yeah. they're coming back i mean you know about this yourself i believe if i can out you as a, yeah. <laughs> as a former former stellar uh mature student alumni of ucd I, I don't think i was i just did it because they used to do a night nice, yeah, yeah you could yeah, do a yeah. degree at night but i don't think it was necessarily a mature and, student and, and that's a big project we're trying to work on the part-time possibilities at ucd mm. and, but that's going to be a really long and that's another national plan but uh, but it's going to be a long process putting that together. Yeah. But there are lots and lots of ways to study UCD through our open learning programs where you can do part-time. But it's, it's something we need to work on as the part-time students. Right. Okay. So there you go. We'll, we'll leave that part of it aside. Yeah. Obviously, if you are considering yeah. a, a course in, in, uh, in UCD, uh, Graham will get you in. Nods as good as a wink. <laughs> uh, now, with your human rights uh, hat on, uh, there's, there's been this uh, Amnesty International report uh, on Ukraine and where, the, and where they're locating their troops. No, it's it's funny because it's caused a bit of a stink, but just because it's Ukraine, it would get any hardly any remarks if, it, if and they have obviously the, the commented on on Russian alleged war crimes. Uh, but now there's oh why didn't you give them a chance to reply? Isn't a violation yeah. of human rights a violation of human rights no matter whether you're the good guys or the bad guys? Well, this is it. This is really roiling the human rights community, and um, I'm now I'm going to roil it some more. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, Agnes Calamar, who's head of Amnesty International, international, right? Uh, <laughs> signed and was sort of gave out a press release accusing Ukraine of, of violations of the laws of war and, and human rights violations by situating their military um, camps, objects, stations near heavily populated civilian areas. And they sent some people in and they talked to some people on the ground who said, oh, yeah, there were military people in the house over there. And then the bomb started to fall. Mm. Uh, and they put out this press release uh, and sort of a great deal of pushback was occurred, not least from Ukraine itself. Uh, 
And uh, fairly soon after, like the Russians weaponized it, of course, if, yeah. and said, "Well, look, we always told you that the Ukrainians were putting military and civilian installations, like hospitals and schools." Uh, and and see, Amnesty International agrees with us. But um, what's so? You're right. Human rights should be a common standard for all countries and all sort of belligerents to meet. Um, and and what's amazing about human rights is that it even applies in times of war. Right. So even if your state is under an existential threat, like um, Ukraine is, mm. you know, you can't torture people. You, you know, there's some human rights you can derogate from, like the public expression of religion in a time of war or freedom of association. But there are some you can't. You can't torture people even if you're you know, being brutally invaded. Right. Or, or whatever. Uh, and so it's what I like about it is, is it's a common standard and you can say, you know, it applies to the Palestinians as well as the Israelis, a conflict I try not to talk about, right? It applies to the Russians as well as the Ukrainians, mm. right? And, and Amnesty International pointed out that they've had many, many reports on Russia, that this in no way justifies indiscriminate attacks on civilian uh, areas, which is characteristic of Russian fighting in, in recent years. Uh, but there's a lot of pushback from Ukraine itself. And so interesting questions include, should you put out a report if you know it's going to be used to attack civilians, right? Or should you just say what's true and, uh, you know, you can't control how people use it, right? Yeah. Um, but another interesting question is, for that reason, there are procedures in place about how you do this. And, and what happened was, normally, they go into a country and they talk to the local amnesty team. And, and right. you know, because they speak the language, they know the nuances of the political situation. Our local branch, Amnesty International Ireland, you know, I know my friends there have regular contacts with with uh, Department of Foreign Affairs and, and lots of other departments. Um, you know, they know what's on the ground. Now, they might be vulnerable to sort of political suasion by their friends in the government, right? So, you know, it's complicated. But you also have to give the state a chance to respond. And, and they only gave them three working days after Amnesty International Ukraine really insisted on it. And three working days, I mean, now the Ministry of Defense in Ukraine is kind of busy right now. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, so basically, Oksana Pokalchuk, who was the head of Amnesty International Ukraine, resigned. And she has a really interesting op-ed about why she did so, making these points that there's a process to go through and Amnesty International seems to have short-circuited it. And, and this certainly is causing, by all reports, a quite a lot of anxiety in Amnesty International, International about how such a desperate communications failure occurred. Oh, right, yeah. Now, uh, related to that, and I think it was mentioned on, on the news, uh, uh, Alexander Dugan's daughter being killed by this uh, car bomb. Alexander Dugan himself, is he a philosopher? Is he... He is. Is He's, he? Yeah. Like, is know, he when, would he be uh, in your orbit? We're not I mean, all really nice people. No, no, no. <laughs> I know? mean, no, philosophers no, I mean, will have different views, he of course. He doesn't do the kind of philosophy I do, but that's okay. People yeah. can do philosophy in a lot of different styles. His conclusions are, are a bit problematic. Um, he's influenced by a lot of different strains of thought, um, including this long-standing form of Russian Slavic nationalism, which... You know, it's a sort of Russian exceptionalism, right? So mm. American exceptionalism is about we're bringing our American rights and democracy to you um, if you're Native Americans at the point of a gun and if you're not Americans at the point of a gun. Yes. <laughs> but but Russian and Slavic nationalism brings you the Russian soul and culture and values at the point of a gun. Mm. And and so he's, he's slightly different in that way. But no, he's a real philosopher in that he's influenced by another person who is extremely sympathetic to fascism, Martin Heidegger, uh, who, who's a whole another 
conversation in some ways. But, you know, so he has a sort of theorized version of this extreme Russian nationalism, which, you know, could be seen as Russian imperialism, because he certainly sees it as Russia's destiny to sort of unite the Slavic peoples and, and basically the whole of the Soviet Union and, and its, its satellite states. Uh, and then there's a sort of pragmatic side to it. Oh, and Pakistan and Afghanistan, because we need a port. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we always need a port. Uh, you know, and, you know, they always need ports, right? You know? uh, but, but he would have been of the view for many years that Ukraine isn't a real country and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Is, is there any particular evidence that, that Putin, that he's, you know, Rasputin's, Putin's Rasputin, you I mean, know, whispering a, in his ear? sort of mixed views. I mean, Putin certainly has, has you know, use these views to justify attacking Ukraine. It's certainly very, very convenient. I mean, he he's a philosopher, you know, in the sense that he's got a television show because he, he had to stop teaching after he was talking about killing all the Ukrainians. Uh, and oh. the other weird part about this is it's like definitely going to be something we talk about a lot um, and we'll may never get to the bottom of it in the sense that it seems like the bomb was intended for Dugin. It got his, his daughter, Darya Dugina. Mm. And... But it was the car they expected Dugan to be in. Yeah. And every possible kind of theory has has been floated. And they're all kind of plausible because that's Russia for you, right? So there's the false flag interpretation is already out there that, that Putin did it to rally support by bringing the war home to, to Moscow. And Dugan, you know, isn't a government official. I mean, what we have is, you know, philosophers don't have the same security details as, as government he officials. He doesn't have one at all, as I yeah, understand he it. He just travels around the place. Clearly not. Yeah. And... Um, you know, but it could be, you know, people are fingering the Chechens, so the anti-Russian Chechens, right, as opposed to the pro-Russian Chechens, who are currently fighting each other in Ukraine, uh, confusingly enough. Mm. The, you know, that I think the least credible one is it's some kind of anti-Putin domestic sort of partisan cell. Uh, and then Putin has gone straight to blaming the Ukrainians and is going to use this yeah. as, a, as, a, as a justification. But I suppose whoever did it and the amount of attention it's getting, it seems to kind of highlight the fact that uh, Dugan's ideology seems to be central in the Kremlin thinking, that they do now v- officially view the world this way, that it's, it's Russia and its vassal states against everyone else. I mean, again, I... Th- it's so hard to believe. I, this is going to get dragged into the culture wars of, of other countries, yeah. probably the United States first, where there's an increasing sort of anti-Ukraine sentiment on the rel- extreme nationalist sort of right who who couldn't pivot quickly enough away from pro-Putin stances. You know, um, but I think in Russia, it, it it could really unsettle a lot of people. And I think it's it's like, in a way, the raid on Donald Trump's house, right? If they could get Dugan's daughter, they could get me, right? Whereas, presumably, you don't have a television show where you talk about killing Ukrainians, right? So uh, the same thing is if they could raid Donald Trump's house, they could raid my house, right? You know, <laughs> looking for nuclear secrets, <laughs> presumably. Yes. You know, so... It, it's it's sad, and and we should. I'm you know I don't want to be seen as making light of the actual terrible murder of someone, mm. uh, but it is it's just one of those things which I think is going to have an outsized effect on on Russia's behavior. Not that Russia has really restrained its behavior, but it'll be curious how this plays out in the often conspiracy filled sort of. Uh, media and cultural environment, which characterizes large countries. Yeah, both there and uh, outside Russia. Graham, uh, lovely to have, have you in uh, as ever. Welcome back. And uh, uh, we, we'll talk to you again shortly. Graham Finley there. Uh, in the meantime, if you are considering going to UCD, uh, some cash might help. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? 
Think again. Weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.